Hey everyone, it's been a while. I appreciate all of you who've been nudging me to get back in the game. When I started this show, I had a lot more free time and flexibility, uh, but in January I took a full-time gig as marketing manager here at American Underground, where I'm actually recording this episode. Uh, I love the work and it's been an opportunity that I took very seriously, so as a result, some of the writing and audio projects I was working on or had plans to work on took a back seat. Uh, but now a balance has returned to the force and I can continue to pour myself into this show, which I'm really excited to do. Uh, we have some great interviews lined up, including the one that you will hear in a little bit. Uh, but first, I feel like I should reintroduce myself. Uh, my name is Justin Laidlaw. Uh, I don't know if I've actually ever said my name on air. Uh, it's funny because I've had a number of conversations recently where I'll say, do you know so-and-so? And the person replies, who? And I say their Instagram handle and they go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know them. So, yes, I do represent myself online under the moniker Buddy Ruski, but that is not my government name. It is not what shows up on my birth certificate. Probably know my work from my time at Runaway, um, which is awesome. And I'm super grateful for your support then and your support now. Uh, but I think there's a lot that leads up to this point in the story that I think is helpful in understanding my motivations, why I care about Durham so much, having been born here, uh, how I got into writing and media and so on and so on. Uh, so if you'll indulge me, uh, at the beginning of each show from now until probably the end of the year, I'm gonna do a little scene setting, uh, sort of giving some history and background on those things uh, for me, and then we'll get into the interview. It'll be three to five minutes, be real quick, but I think again, it'll help us get to know each other a little bit better and for folks that uh, maybe don't know my background to understand me as an individual a little bit. Um, so with that, uh, we have a really awesome interview coming up with Joshua Gunn. He's somebody that I've known in the creative scene basically since I started in 2011, 2012. Um, our paths have crossed in a number of different ways through music and art. Uh, we recently uh, both joined the Durham Public Schools Foundation board. So we work on that project together, uh, which is awesome to get to work with uh, one of my peers in a different capacity. Um, but Jay Gunn is also a Durham native, uh, has done a lot in the city, for the city, uh, as a musician, uh, as a uh, member of the Chamber of Commerce, uh, now running for political office for city council, so I think he has a lot of interesting perspective on Durham, uh, on on art, on hip hop, on a number of things. And, and so I'm really excited to have him be the guest that reintroduces this show. Uh, like I said, I've been uh, off for a little bit, but really excited to crank the gears and get things going again. So with that, this is my interview with Joshua Gunn. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Buddy Ruski Show. Uh, it's been a little minute, but I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, I have a really special guest today. Uh, he is a uh, somewhat longtime friend, uh, someone that you all certainly know if you've been in Durham in the last you know, decade, decade years. plus. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. 
My uh, my guest today is Joshua Gunn, aka Jay Gunn, who is uh, on the precipice or in the midst of uh, a city council run here in Durham, but yeah, has man. a long history here uh, through music, through political activism, you name it. So, uh, Jay Gunn, thanks for being on the show. Man, thank you for having me, bro. You uh, are, uh, like myself, a Durham kid through and through. Yeah, this born, is your homeland. Born um, tell us a little bit about sort of your upbringing and how you got to this point. Yeah, um, I mean, I was born in Durham. Um, you know, I always open with the fact that I'm a fourth generation Durhamite. Uh, my family's been here four generations. Uh, Great grandfather moved here uh, soon after emancipation, right? You know, uh, soon after uh, he was, my ancestors were enslaved in Yanceyville, which is just about an hour from here. Um, and uh, post emancipation, you know, Durham was the center for black people from an economic standpoint and a place where you know, you could come make, make a life for yourself, um, which was rare in the South. There weren't very many cities like Durham, especially for black folks. Um, so family's been here a long time, got a really proud um, connection to the city in that regard. In terms of how I grew up, you know, uh, my pops was a mailman, you know. Uh, he's a retired Air Force, uh, was in Vietnam for two tours, lived overseas for a while, lived all over the world, actually, uh, but lived in Germany for the longest amount of his career, met my mom there. So my mom is from Germany. My dad is from Durham. Uh, they moved back to Durham in the 80s, uh, I think like 1982, a couple of years before I was born. And then I landed. I was I was birthed here. I was the first of their children to be born in Durham. And, uh, you know, we, we, we grew up loving the city, man. We, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of things, but we had a great community. We, we grew up near South Square Mall, where that is. And um, I just have really fond memories of growing up, you know what I'm saying? A really supportive community. And, you know, with my family's history and connection, I always felt like, you know, it, w it was instilled in me to try to put Durham on the map, right? So everything that I've done um, since then is just really about waving that flag and repping the city. And, I, you know, that's a part of my upbringing for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually uh, have a, an uncle, my mom's brother, uh, was also military, also stationed in Germany, also married a German woman. So I have two cousins who are half German, and and my aunt. They all live in in uh, here in North Carolina in in Clemens. Word. Uh, yeah, right down the road. So there are um, a lot of uh, mixed black kids running around with German moms, yo. So it was very common, uh, I think, in the military for. Uh, you know, the military is actually beautiful because of that. There's so much diversity, and you know, so many international families. Uh, in the U.S. military, so that that is one of the positive aspects I think of my dad's military career. We have a connection to two cultures in a way. And when he uh, transitioned out of the military into working for the Postal Service, uh, how much of that experience for him do you think influenced his connection to the community? Because obviously, as a uh, male person, you're mm -hmm. in the neighborhoods day in and day out. You know, rain, sleet, snow. Yeah. Um, so how much uh, of that experience do you think influenced his connection to Durham and then how he's passed that on to you? Yeah, I think uh, in a number of ways, um, you know, I think him living overseas for 20 plus years, right? He left, he went to A&T for a semester and then ended up, he couldn't afford school anymore and ended up going into the service. Um, and so spent most of his formative adult years not in the United States. And I think... Um, when you're away from home, you're more likely to rep home. You know what I mean? Is that like, it's like, even, you know, in my music career, when I'm on tour, if I'm overseas, you know, I'm talking about Durham in much more like romantic terms, right? You know, because you're, you're with people who don't know who you are, where you're from, so you want to rep represent your community. And I think, 
you know, I'm just thinking about this as you ask, but that's likely also why my dad has always been so proud because he spent, you know, 20 plus years telling people in Thailand and Germany and in Vietnam and Japan about this great city that he was from. Um, and then when he got back here, my pops is just, you know, naturally an engaging guy, man. So as, as your mailman, if my pops was your, ever your mailman, you knew him, you spoke to him. He might have came in your crib for a glass of water. Like he was he's just naturally an engaging person. Um, and being from the city and knowing so many people, um, I think that was a great fit for him from an occupation standpoint. He delivered mail all throughout the city and he had, you know, friends in every neighborhood for sure. That's what's up. Yeah. My uh, my grandfather, who has been in Durham for I don't know, 40, 50 plus years, was yeah. also in the military. He lived in uh, Florida, right outside Orlando. Uh, didn't know his parents, ended up going to the military, mm-hmm. coming back here or being stationed in, uh, in Fayetteville and then made his way up to, to Durham. So, um, you know, there's a special quality to military men yeah, um, in terms of the way that they uh, can connect with others and having that world experience, um, I think, gives them uh, a leg up on, on some other folks. Yeah, it, 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 my dad's definitely got, um, I'd say, comp- relative to some of his peers that he grew up with, a much more global lens on everything. And I think, um, you know, that is one of the great benefits of, of being in the military, especially when he was. Um, it, it, and that impacted my views, right? It made me much more of a global or, or internationalist in terms of my, my viewpoint and perspective. When you uh, were coming up, did, did your parents, either your parents play music? Nah, my pops, actually my dad wanted to be a singer. Uh, he wanted to be a lounge singer. He took a summer and went to New York. So we've got, you know, as all Southern black folks, we have lots of family that migrated into New York. Um, and my pops left after high school to try to be a lounge singer up in Harlem for a little bit, but um, didn't work out <laughs> for various reasons. So he's always, he's always played music and he sings, um, you know, in the choir at church. He was in a professional choir here in Durham for a little bit. Um, but he doesn't play music. You know, he's, I wouldn't say he, I wouldn't say he considers himself a musician and, and my mom certainly does not. <laughs> so where did that come from for you, uh, growing up? Did you pick up music through school? Was it something that your friends did? Yeah. Uh, how did you get connected with music early on? So my big brother is the reason why I got into hip hop specifically. I've always loved music. I've always loved performing. Uh, it just comes naturally to me when I was like a baby, like a toddler, uh, my siblings would walk me around the neighborhood and I would knock on people's doors and sing for like a dollar. Like that was a thing for me as a real, so real living out your father's dream a little bit. I then. guess so, man, I guess. Uh, and I didn't even know my dad wanted to be a singer until a few years ago. I hadn't heard his story of his childhood, uh, or his early teenage years. All I knew was that he went to school and then went to the military. So, you know, he helped me connect some of those dots. So maybe he passed that on to me, but, uh, as far as hip hop, my, my older brother rapped, um, we're seven years apart. And I wanted to hang out with him. You know what I mean? I was a little kid and he was a teenager. So um, I wanted to be around him. And he, him and his homeboys liked to rhyme. And so I just figured I'd try it out to impress them. And um, instantly, I mean, it kind of had a gift for it, right? It started off with me just memorizing other people's lyrics. It just comes naturally to me. Um, so, you know, test it out and write my own rhymes. And uh, all of his homeboys were like, dang, you know, dude is dope. And so now I can hang with them, right? You know, he, I, they, my brother wouldn't mind having his little brother around if I was uh, entertaining to his his friends. So um, that's what really got me, just that that connection with people and the way that I was able to express myself. It really helped me through some tough times growing up too. You know, so my connection to music is is largely tied to 
survival for me. Like, you know, I'll post sometimes on social media and people take it for granted. But I say hip hop saved my life. It really did, bro. Like I, you know, I was kind of an awkward kid, kind of like, uh, you know, had some some troubles at home. And uh, hip hop was the thing that gave me confidence, gave me sort of space to say what I couldn't say to my parents about my upbringing or say to my uh, say to the elders about how I felt about things, help me, you know, establish my political lens, too. Um, so, yeah, hip hop was just powerful for me. And, and it's music. Right. And it's no doubt it's music. But for me, it's, it's hip hop specifically um, that spoke to me. Yeah, I want to ask what artists and what part of the culture you grew up on, because there are folks, you know, millions of people that get connected to hip hop yeah. through the music. And, and that continues to be what they connect to. But then there's this whole other part of hip hop culture um, that is layers deeper than that. And, and I'm wondering how you what your influences were and, and what connected you to the culture and not just the, the music. Yeah, um, all of it, you know, like, um, so Pete Rock and CL Smooth, uh, They Reminisce Over You is the first song that I remember hearing and saying, damn, this is what I want to do with my life. And part of it with, with, with CL Smooth, for instance, was his ability to tell a story. And um, I just was captivated by it. I was also captivated by the imagery in the story, though, like these um, just positive black family images juxtaposed against sort of this whole what was existing then, this knowledge of self movement uh, within hip hop um, that was uh, directly in contradiction to everything else that I was being sort of fed on a daily basis outside of my home. Um, and hip hop just gave me this like confidence in myself, helped me uh, sort of center my blackness too as a mixed kid like you know where do I really fall um, but hip-hop you know welcomed me and embraced me and reminded me of, of you know the richness of my history and my legacy um, and even like as an elementary school kid it was it was evident to me it was just like you don't see that anywhere else right we go to school and we're talking about George Washington or Thomas Jefferson but then I listen to Public Enemy or Pete Rock and CL or Wu-Tang and I'm learning about Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X and, uh, you know, the, the Kwame Nkrumah and like all of these people that I had no exposure to um, that were much more interesting and I could relate to much more. Um, so hip hop just I don't know, bro. It just um, it just felt like home for me in a weird way. You know, I wasn't from New York where most of the hip hop was from then, but everything else about it spoke to me. Yeah, that's interesting because for me, I think music and particularly hip hop almost had an opposite effect where the music that I was into uh, based on some of the other black folks that I found myself around yeah. made me more white than it made <laughs> me more black. So I, my, you know, I, I listened to, I'm 28 and the music I came up on, my dad was a DJ. So he, you know, played a lot of different stuff. He had huge CD wallets full of mixes that he would use for his shows and stuff like that. And yeah. Um, so I listened to all the mainstream pop stuff, um, you know, Eminem, Will Smith, Nelly, all that, like the sort of party jams. Right. But then I got into a lot of uh, like early 2000s West Coast um, underground stuff like Hieroglyphics, Jurassic Five, Dilated Peoples, yeah. Far Side, um, Souls of Mischief, like that. And then on, on this coast with uh, Most Deaf and The Roots and... Um, you know, some of that stuff, most deaf, the roots is like kind of more in line with the neo soul or mm -hmm. um, would give me a, maybe a little bit more street cred than <laughs> being a. Than uh, Nelly and. Uh, yeah. Nelly or like I, this was one of my 
least favorite stories to tell, even though I tell it over and over. But Pete Rock was actually here a couple oh. years ago. I want to say for Art of Cool and Pierce Freelon, our friend Pierce had him at Black Space, yeah, and he asked something about like our one of our first experiences with hip hop, and I told him that the first hip hop CD I ever bought with my own money was Big Willie style by Will Smith. <laughs> okay. And he kind of gave me the side eye and, and looked at me crooked. And I was just like, oh, I probably should have come up with something else. You should, probably should have came, but you were authentic to yourself. Yeah. Man. And I, and no, that, that was me in that. Have but you, again, it, it, have you seen that MERS, uh, I guess we'll call it a, a blog. Oh, on the, on hip hop. Why hip hop hates Will Smith. Yeah. 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 It's pretty dope. Yeah. He, he has some interesting perspective on hip hop that I really appreciate. But anyway, so, yeah, I had a, a maybe a different hip hop took me in a different direction. It, and part of it, too, was a lot of the kids I grew up with in my neighborhood were like middle class white dudes. So that right. was the hip hop they were into also. And sure. so I connected with them through that. But um, yeah, my, br- my brother being older than me, I think if if I didn't have my older brother, you know, my brother's 40. Right. So <laughs> he's from a, essentially a completely different generation from me in life and also in hip hop. So I was listening to what he was listening to rather than what my peers were listening to. Like, I think. Uh, my friends my age were into like crisscross and and shit vanilla ice you know what i'm saying like and i my brother made me see vanilla ice and be like that's whack you know what i mean even though i kind of dug it cuz i'm a kid um, my brother at least gave me that barometer for what like real hip hop was you know what i'm saying maybe and, and sometimes to a, to a detriment cuz i think i missed out on some of the shit in middle school that I wish I, I got into and now I'm like go, going back like damn some of this No Limit stuff was kind of dope yeah. or you know whatever uh, my brother and the real hip hop heads were saying was whack I was I was avoiding but the positive side of that is it exposed me to like all the real um, lyricism and you know Nas and Raekwon and Outkast and like all this stuff that was well above my age um, or well before my age so yeah, yeah you mentioned that you uh with your brother being older and hanging around his friends, one of my first uh, introductions to you as an individual was this sort of legend that Jay Gunn was like an early uh, battle rapper, that he was, you know, on the scene, (laughs) spitting bars, battling cats, you know, well above his age. And that was the um, sort of how you made your way onto Mm -hmm. the scene more uh, prominently. So what, what was that like to, to then take sort of what you were doing, maybe in your room, writing bars, or sharing with your brother and his friends, yeah. to actually being on the hip hop scene uh, and having to showcase that work in front of complete strangers. Yeah, um, again, it was just battle rap for me was about um, cutting through or, or uh, defying some of my physical characteristics that I think were like in hip hop, you know, at that time, especially it was all about, you know, being hard and being real and being all of these things that, you know, I, I wasn't, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like I was, I was none of those sort of stereotypical hip hop images. You know, I was a skinny high yellow kid, you know, uh, had both my parents and, you know, my dad was a working class guy. I didn't have any like sort of, uh, you know, poverty story to tell at least at that time and battle rap because I was good with words and had the ability to quickly memorize things which is what freestyling actually Mm -hmm. is it's like instantly memorizing something it's not like it kind of is stream of consciousness but it's also like okay I'm in front of this person what am I going to say about them and then being able to recite it in 30 seconds Um, that part of it came naturally for me and I'm like all right, this is how I'm going to get my respect right and so before battling um I was dissing my brother's homeboys, right? Like they 
you know, they're teenagers and I'm dissing them and I'm a little middle school kid. And they let you get away with that? I mean, what are they going to do? Right. That was the <laughs> other advantage for me. It was like I was so small. Like if I said something that offended you, are you going to, you know, you're not going to kill me. Right. Or if I hope you wouldn't kill me or you're not going to fight a, t- a teenager or right. a little kid. Um, so I could really say whatever I wanted to say. And uh, I don't know how much time we got, but we'll get into some of the trouble I got into with that as an adult. But um, yeah, it just was a great way for me to earn respect. And uh, so I started off battling my brother's homeboys and then the radio um, back then, 102 and K97.5 would let let people call in and rhyme on the air. They had like this thing called a roll call and then they had this thing called a freestyle flow, which was like at 10 o'clock on a weekday. And, you know, you just come in and spit your 16. And uh, I think I may be 12 at the time. I call up and just go off, like my best 16. I didn't even really know how to rhyme on beat or anything like that, but my bars were pretty heavy for a 12-year-old. And so the radio DJ just goes nuts. Like He's like, yo, like this is crazy. And um, that kind of sparked it for me. I'm like, okay, maybe there's something here, right? Beyond just battling my brother and his homeboys, maybe I could you know, do this. And um, then a couple radio DJs were listening to the show and – long story short contacted me and invited me out to the station um these djs were at wxdu though in durham yeah cool um dj samps was the first to call me um courtney c called a bunch of them like yo want to bring to the station and you know they really ushered me into the local music scene and they were hosting a freestyle battle called duel of the iron mics hundred dollars was the grand prize which for me was like a million i'm like yo i gotta get this money buying hella chips and candy and all of that um and they were like you know want you to enter i don't even think they thought i could win like i think they were like this is a novelty people will love seeing a little kid rap um and i had never been into like a structured freestyle battle before so i came in and again this is just a testament to this uh you know not to like brag but a gift that i have with memorizing things and quickly adapting um got in i saw this first battle i saw the first round i was just praying i didn't have to go first so i could at least see what this was like didn't go first, saw the battle, I'm like, oh, I can do this. I, I know exactly what to do. You get up there, the beat drops, you dish your opponent, you know what I mean, a couple punchlines, and I just killed everybody that day. Like, I just, that day was like the introduction of Jay Gunn. I was Baby Jay at the time. Um, but that was like, yo, this is a thing for me, and the feeling I got that night of the crowd screaming and, you know, breaking all the hearts of all the old, you know, the rappers, it was like, it, that ushered me into the scene. And from then, bro, honestly, from like 13 years on, um, I never, at least here, had to um, try too hard. I could just instantly just be me now, right? It's like I got my respect from the people that I wanted the respect from, and now when I walk in a room, it's really about my skills. Um, and it cut through all of the shit about how I looked and where I was from. It was just like, okay, this dude is dope. And um, so I, I give all respect for like that piece of it to DJ Sams and Courtney C and the Butter Team and Bro Rab for like giving me that shot and encouraging me. Cause I mean, you can imagine how scary it is. Some of these cats were like real life killers. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Right, like, right. <laughs> and uh, I'm just on stage and my parents dropped me off by myself, which is the part of the story that I think is hilarious. It was at Cat's Cradle. I was 13. My dad drops me off into the arms of these radio DJs that they don't really know. Like, all right, go ahead and get in there. and You know what I mean? Like, Your brother's not there. My brother was in college, I think, by that time or just in high school doing playing football or whatever he was doing. Um, yeah, he had to be – maybe he was a senior or maybe in college, but he wasn't there. So I was dolo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, it could have went way left, but, you know, fortunately it didn't. And, and uh, you know, that's where the story really began. 
That's what's up. Yeah, I know that um, music has always, for as long as that I've known you, uh, been a big part of your um, sort of how you're maneuvering through the world. It may not necessarily be your full-time gig, but uh, it seemed to have uh, opened many doors uh, mm-hmm. along the way. And, and trying to fast forward a little bit into sort of what you've been into now, yeah. it seems like that's true for a lot of hip hop artists mm-hmm. is that because hip hop is the dominant global culture right now, it seems um, both musically and just in fashion and, and everything else, um, hip hop artists, both old and new are able to leverage that for business reasons, for other art projects. Um, you know, I think about local guys like, um, Fonte who have been involved in, uh, you know, television production. Yep. He's obviously working with our friend Holland on the hype project, the mm-hmm. web series. Um, you know, a guy like Jay Z is controversial as he might be right now sure. being able to sneak into, uh, or, or get in rooms, um, that were otherwise reserved for, not hip hop. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering what that experience was like for you, both trying to do music, but then also seeing how can I leverage this into, uh, other moves or other lanes that might give me longevity um, outside of music. Yeah. uh, Your point about hip hop opening doors, hip hop has opened every door for me. Like anything that I have or any place that I've been or any room that I've been in hip hop opened that door for me. Um, but in terms of, you know, leveraging it. I wish I was smart enough to do it earlier. Mm. Um, early in my career, I felt like if I did anything besides music, then I was like lame or a failure or whack or like, oh, if I'm, you know, consulting for some company or, you know, if I'm working at a gig or uh, scoring a movie or anything besides standing on stage and rapping or recording and, and you know, being a, the dopest rapper on my block, um, I looked down upon, you know, I felt like, man, that's, I just want to make music. I just want to rap. Um, when it goes back to your point too, about the, what, and the image of hip hop artists yeah, is yeah. right. Like how, how many hip hop artists in the, in the nineties and early two thousands are rapping about consulting for, you know, <laughs> right. software firms or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah. And it's, it's like this allure, like, um, so one of the first record deals I got MC light signed me to it. Right. So MC light and this guy, this brother named James Dubose, um, Dubose had a deal with universal. He hired MC light to be the vice president of his company. Um, I get some music to him. Light loves the music. They signed me to a deal. So I, I, mo- I go to LA and spend like a bunch of time with light. And this is like 2012. You know what I'm saying? MC Light hadn't had a record out since 98 or whatever at that time. Like a a hit record out. And I see her car. I see her houses. I see how she's living. And I'm like, damn, yo, hip-hop is great. You know what I'm saying? And But the more I talked to her, it was the voiceover work that she was doing and the voices that she did for cartoons and the, you know, announcing at the BET Awards and consulting on film projects and like all of the ways that she had diversified her talents were is what was actually paying her bills. You know, music pays when you go on tour, but when you come home, you, you know, you need something else to do. And before I met Light, I, I Light really was when the light bulb went off in my head for a bad pun, but it was like, yo, I got talent, I've got an audience, um, I can do other things. Why am I not doing those things to generate income for myself? Um, and she really helped me with that. And so did Dame, like being around Dame and, uh, you know, Dame Dash is, you know, mogul, hip hop mogul, but 
he's involved in like 50 different projects at any given time. He's judging a TV show, making money for that, or, you know, not scared to use your talent and your likeness to, to provide income for yourself. Um, I think my exposure to both of them was like when I was like, okay, I can do several things, you know what I mean? And I should be charging for all of them, mm -hmm. you know, because especially here in Durham for a while, um, and really before I had kids, I would do all kind of stuff for free, bro. Like, yeah, gun, can you help me? Um, you know, my, my company's doing this marketing campaign. We'd love to get some ideas from you or we'd love to use your music or love to have you come speak at our company about something or another. And I just think back about all the times I could have been creating a business for myself out of that, you know? And, um, so the past few years I've really been doing that, right? Leveraging the skill sets that I have, the relationships that I have to, to create revenue for myself. And, you know, that would be my message that I want people to take away from this. Your talent, like if you're a graphic designer, right, if that's what your talent is, um, doesn't mean that you can't also be an artist and do paintings and visual installations and, you know, expand upon where, you, you know, what the core of it is. The core of my talent is I'm a rapper, but that means I can communicate. That means I'm creative. That means right. I have ideas. So let's do all of it. You yeah. know what I mean? Let's do all of it. And, uh, I'm and charge for it. Like and charge said. for it, bro. And, char and get paid well because... Um, you know, it's the only way we can survive as artists. The music doesn't pay what it used to, and you can only tour so much. Um, Got to think of other ways to, to live and to eat. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've really appreciated about some of the programming that's come out of Art of Cool and Black Wall Street Homecoming yeah. um, is this. I, I've seen more and more panels over the last five years around that exact idea, diversifying the gifts that you have into multiple arenas yeah. and unpacking what it means to be a rapper or an art visual artist, like you said, um, and, and all the ways that you can plug and play those different skill sets to, to make a living. Because to your point, music is becoming less and less music directly is becoming less and less a serious revenue stream. Yeah. It's, it's so it's, it's even more important than it ever was. I feel like music and culture is, influencing and influencing everything and it's a part of everything video games movies tv commercials events your job like whatever right but it's less profitable because it's, it's easy to access right mm -hmm. i mean that's the gift and the curse people can go get my music right now and hear it and i'm you know i'll, I'll check my monthly streams report and i'm like damn somebody in iceland was jamming to my joint you know what i mean that's beautiful right there's less effort required to do that but i mean you get like half a penny right. you know what i'm saying so uh, yeah, we have to diversify if we're going to survive. So thinking about that, um, recently you have been working with, uh, the chamber of commerce here mm -hmm. in Durham. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, they're a little bit of, a, a legacy organization in yeah. a way. Um, so this makes me think about, you know, based on what you've told me historically, this is the type of organization that would say, Hey, can we like, you know, steal some ideas mm -hmm. from you. Will you That's come right. in and talk to us for a second? And then we're going to take them and run with them. And instead you were able to, um, you know, put yourself in a position to have real significant influence there long term. Yeah. Um, so what, what has that experience been like being on the chamber, trying to uh, affect Durham and its change in different ways? Cause obviously um, we all know that Durham is changing mm -hmm. uh, in, in many ways and very quickly. Yeah. Um, and so how were you able to, or, or what was the opportunity that you saw with the chamber to um, be able to affect some of that change? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that question. Um, 
so you know the chamber of commerce a chamber of commerce is you know a 120 plus year old organization it's got it's entrenched in all of what i would call um some of the negative history of the united states mm-hmm. right it's it, it it has a history of racism a history of sort of racial economically um damaging policies and positions um that have most affected black folks and communities of color um, so I, I, when I got the call, um, I randomly got the call about the chamber, uh, sitting in my apartment. My daughter was just born. I just got back from Korea on tour and I'm like full rock star dad mode, but also wondering how the hell I'm gonna pay the medical bills. Right. It's like, we don't have health insurance as a rapper. I was a full-time artist at the time. Right. Had like left all of my other hustles to lean back into music all the way. Um, but then you have a kid and you start thinking differently. So, you know, sort of serendipitously get a phone call from a recruiter. She's like, hey, this is my last day at the recruiting agency. We've been trying to fill this position. You know, I don't know if you're a good fit, but I know you care about Durham. I follow your music. I'm a big fan of what you're doing. I just wanted to see if you take a look at this position. Also, I can't tell you who the organization is, but I can tell you it's Durham centric. So I'm racking my brain. I don't know what it could be. Did not dawn on me it could be the Chamber of Commerce. I'll speed the story up. I go to do the interview. It goes really well. They end up thinking I'd be a good fit for the position. Turns out it's the Chamber. And now I'm like, whoa, this could be really impactful. Right? Um, you know, there's something, you know, as I mentioned, hip-hop's opened so many doors for me. But when I get in the door, I feel like that I have the responsibility to represent all the other people who will never access those rooms. Right? Um, and maybe it's too much pressure for one person to put on themselves, but I genuinely try to advocate for communities that don't get those seats at those tables right when i'm in those spaces and i saw the chamber as a way to do that as an institution that is historically not um friendly to some of the causes that i've been working for specifically causes for black folks um you know being in that room felt powerful to me felt like something uh important that could be transformative for the community um getting in that room i recognized um just how much economics, uh, just how big of a factor economics and economic development in particular is in the outcomes that our community experiences or the outcomes of people in our community, right? So, you know, basically what the chamber in Durham does, so each chamber is a little bit different, right? The saying in the chamber world is if you've seen one chamber of commerce, you've seen one chamber, right? They all work a little bit different. Durham's is an economic development organization. We do a little bit of public policy advocacy, but mainly economic development, growing, creating jobs. That's what we do, right? We go out, uh, we work with existing businesses, most of them small businesses on, you know, growing your business, sustaining your business, getting more customers, uh, which in turn creates jobs. We also work with larger enterprise, recruiting them to Durham, right? So um, we just announced 400 jobs in a new headquarters downtown last week, for instance. Um, and so my space in those rooms is to, is to ask the difficult questions, right? So who are those jobs for? What do those jobs pay? Uh, you know, how, what kind of training is required? Um, will you help pay for some of the training that's required? Um, and you know, dog, like it's, it's, it's the most important thing right now. It's the, is economics, right? We're like all of the other issues that we're experiencing in our community, affordability, access, public safety, are influenced by economics, right? People's ability to feed themselves, provide a house for themselves and their family. Um, and so as I'm sitting there, I'm realizing that this is a different way to use my gifts, but it's equally important, if not more important, um, for me to be in that room advocating for people who are most marginalized. So three years in the game, man, we've done a lot. It's been exciting. There is some some tension there, though, right? It's It's 
uh, an institution that has got some historical baggage that we have to deal with. And there are people who are resistant to change, um, not on our staff, but, you know, our membership. We're a member based organization. So there's some people that don't want things to change. Right. They don't want a more equitable economy. But we as an organization are fighting for that daily. How do you as somebody from Durham? I think about this all the time and it came up in many conversations that Gabe and I would have internally at runaway Mm -hmm. conversations. I would have externally with folks. There's this tension between wanting to grow Durham um, because it means more opportunities, more cool things to do, whatever your fancy is, there's more of it. Uh, The flip side of that is you, you slowly start to erode some of the culture away from Durham if you're not careful and I think that's where some of the apprehension is from folks that have been in Durham for the last 20 years or so yeah. that have have seen a little bit um, you know they've seen a few ups and downs in Durham and know what it's like to go through that phase and so I'm wondering for you as someone who actively works to grow Durham right. uh, but is asking those difficult questions how do you process that tension internally and then how does that manifest itself yeah. Externally. You're right. And there is a lot of tension there. Right. I'm, um, I, I, we have to think about that every time we make a decision or every meeting that we walk into, what is this growth? How is this growth going to impact our community? Um, I, I think it's about intentionality. Right. So I get a little uneasy in conversations with people who, um, have wealth who are advocating against growth. Right. It's like, I already got mine. I don't care if you get it. Right. And that to me is where I think there's some tension in our community today. Right. It's a little bit of this like reverse NIMBYism, NIMBY meaning not in my backyard. So when we think of NIMBY historically, we think of like people who are wealthy and who don't want affordable things in their backyard. Right. Um, We have this sort of reverse, like this liberal NIMBYism where it's like, you know, I'm a progressive community, but I don't want any more jobs here. Right. And the people that don't have jobs are like, what? Like, but in Durham, uh, a lot of those people who don't have jobs or who need jobs are not in those conversations, right? So we, we, we lar- these spaces are largely centered around middle-class affluent folks arguing against opportunities for people who need them the most. So when I think of growth, I'm always thinking about, okay, my family members, for instance, or my cousins or my aunts, um, when I talk to them about you know, how are things going, it's always an economic response. It's like, man, I'm just trying to pay the rent. Right. I mean, it's even like embedded in our culture. Right. What's good, man? Ain't shit. Just trying to pay the bills or another day, you know, whatever. Right. We have these economic responses. Um, And I I feel a little bit like some of the leadership in our community doesn't come from that and doesn't have that understanding about just how important a job is, just how important the ability to, you know, pay the bills are. Um, And so the tension, uh, in my opinion, a lot of it comes from that, just a disconnect from the average everyday folks. Um, trying to pay their bills. Like when I'm at the chamber and I'm sitting down with um, a company and we're talking about, yeah, they love to move to Durham. I'm like, okay, great. They say we want to bring 400 jobs and $10 million worth of investment. I'm like, okay, this is good. Um, We need 400 jobs. Okay, what do those jobs look like? Who are those jobs going to be for? What are the positions? What are their training requirements? And then sort of backing in to making sure that Durham people are ready for those jobs. Um, So when I think about growth, I think about doing it in an intentional way. We need to grow because we need more jobs and opportunity, right? To say that we want to stop growing, uh, in my opinion, is a little bit selfish. 
right? Because Durham's good enough for us, me and you. We're sitting here having this conversation. We might go have a latte or something later or might get a craft beer from somewhere. So it's a great place for us, and we're loving it. But if but if we just want it to be for us, that's a little bit selfish, right? Because there's 20% of people in Durham at the poverty line that can't get that craft beer. And if we, if we could create an opportunity or a job for them, maybe they could. And I know craft beer ain't the end-all, be-all, but I'm just using that as an example of a quality of life, right? Whatever that means for the individual. So it is attention, and it's a conversation we have every day at the chamber about, you know, what is this? How is this growth going to impact the community? But I think it comes down to intentionality. Um, intentionality requires some difficult conversations. It requires sometimes to say no to a company that wants to land here. Um, but in most cases, the triangle itself is super popular. Right. It's got everything that a company from New York or San Francisco would want. It's got a rich talent pool, diverse uh, resident base, um, you know, universities, you know, quality of life, fairly affordable now uh, for now, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. But um, the triangle is going to continue to grow. And, and, and what, what I've noticed at the chamber is we have sort of this disengagement uh, between the public sector, our government officials, and the business community. And so when that happens, there's no room for intentionality. You can't control how your community grows. And so what you get is what we're getting today, mm-hmm. which is luxury apartments on every corner. Because as the region continues to grow, there's always going to be someone who's like, well, shit, it's you know, thousands of people moving in every year. I'm going to build a beautiful luxury apartment because I called down at the city to see you know, if we could do something else and no one's answering, no one's responding, or... Um, I mean, look at downtown today, right? You've been downtown now or working and, 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 and hanging out downtown damn near every day for what, five years, six years? Yeah, not better part of a decade. How many buildings have we constructed downtown that provide jobs that actually when they're completed will provide jobs? There's too many buildings to think about right now. <laughs> well, if you, I'll, I'll help you think about it. So most of them are hotels. Mm-hmm. Most of the buildings that we built downtown that provide jobs are hotels which are not, in most cases, living wage jobs, which are service industry jobs, right? Um, which are, you, you know, di- it's difficult to sustain a lifestyle on a, on a, a barista job right, right. now. Um, but then I'll ask you the same question. How many buildings downtown have been built for residency? Well, that one we Damn can Damn near the yeah, rest we can of them, them, right? <laughs> and even the ones that have, I mean, a place like One City Center is about half and half. I don't remember exactly yeah. how it breaks down, but it's got a, a mix of... One City Center is a, good, is a good example of... It's a fairly good project, right? I know it was deba- it was controversial, but um, it'll, pay the, it'll pay the city lots of revenue so we can have money um, for social programs, right? For the things that we need to pay for to make sure there's affordability across the board. It did provide some jobs. There's five floors of jobs. But besides One City, I mean, we got Liberty Warehouse, you got um, the Whetstone, you got... Um, where my sister lives, uh, I forgot what it's called, but the one by Ciderworks, yeah, the other one across the street from Ciderworks, yeah. they're all apartments, yeah. right? And I would always tell people that that's an example of the absence of an economic development strategy. Mm-hmm. If we have real economic development, we look at that land off of that 147 exit where most people enter into the city and we say, damn, what could we put here? We could create jobs there. You put some living residences as well, live, work, play, right? But we need to focus on driving and creating jobs because otherwise you drive through downtown in the evening. It's, it's quiet because mm-hmm. there's a bedroom community. And the last thing we want to be is a place where every, where all the money goes out in the morning and goes to work somewhere in Raleigh or Chapel Hill. And then they just come here to sleep. Um, if you ask a downtown restaurateur how business is during the day, they tell you not too good. 
right? You, you go to get lunch at any of our restaurants, you, get, you don't have any trouble getting the table. Uh, people are cutting staff every day. Um, so I think we, you know, what the chambers exposed me to is a flaw in our economic development strategy as a city um, and also exposed me to the fact that it's one of the most important things that we can do is talk about how to get some real economic development for all of Durham. So that was a long rant to say uh, I'm really proud of the work that we've done there, man. And, you know, I feel fortunate to be in that seat. And so as I'm there, I'm going to continue to advocate for people who can't get in those rooms so that they can get in those rooms and we can, you know, amplify voices of all of Durham. I'm going to take a quick break real quick. And then I do real quickly uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your city council run and sort of what you um, hope to bring to the city council that um, doesn't already exist there. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. So I'm back here with Jay Gunn. Uh, we were talking a little bit uh, before we took a break here about intentionality. And you yeah. talked about intentionality and, and how it's played out in Durham and uh, the motivations behind different people, different organizations here, and how that manifests itself in economic development, uh, social causes, all that sort of stuff. I'm interested, I, I read uh, the short piece that the Indie Week did when you made your announcement yeah. for the city council run. And uh, you talked a little bit, or there was a quote uh, from you about uh, no one on the city council being uh, from Durham. Mm -hmm. And it made me think, as many people know, um, Mayor Shul, Steve, has been a longtime friend and mentor of mine. Um, And, you know, he's not necessarily from Durham, but he's been in Durham probably longer than the two of us have been alive, you know. Um, So he definitely has some, uh, some history with Durham. So I'm wondering and this is something that comes up for me pretty much daily is what does it mean to you to be authentically Durham? And what is it that you think in your city council run you're able to represent that is not being represented right now? Yeah, you said a lot. Um, First is worth correcting myself. Um, Vernetta Austin, council member Austin did grow up here. Um, in Durham, she went to Mackey. She's an Immaculata alum. Um, but I think to your point about being authentically Durham, uh, it means several things. It means really knowing the people of the community and not just those people in the little your 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 neighborhood, but like Durham folks across the city. Durham's a vast city, right? We got North Durham, South Durham, East Durham, West Durham, affluent neighborhoods, inner city neighborhoods, uh, public housing areas, and you know, to really tell the story of Durham, it's like a quilt, right? You have to know all of the pieces of the fabric, right? And all of the different things that make this mosaic that makes Durham what it is. I use that term in a lot of my songs about Durham because I think that's what makes Durham fascinating. It's really a a tapestry or a mosaic of all these various backgrounds of people just kind of sticking together to make this thing work. Um, Especially when I grew up and you you grew up too in, in the 90s, Durham was like, this lost island, right? It was like, damn, why would you stay there? You know, and a lot of people left, right? A lot of people left Durham. And actually, most of the folks that I grew up with, we thought that staying in Durham meant that you failed, right? It's like, shit, I'm bad. I still still see folks sometimes, I run into them at Food Line or whatever, like, yo, you back in Durham? And they'll be like, yeah, but just for a little while or just temporarily, right? Like, um, but those of us who stayed here and, 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 um, chose to stay here, we sort of developed this bond just through that, 
simple choice, right? Like, yo, I choose Durham, and I love this place for various reasons. And even if it ain't perfect, it's mine. You know what I mean? It's all of ours. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that. Authenticity is, it, it, to be authentic, you, you, gotta under, you have to think about authentic to who. And um, through music and through my community work, I've fortunately been exposed to all different types of Durhamites, right? Those people that were born and raised here, those people who just landed here, you know, from uh, another community, you know. Uh, but all of us have this united, or we're all united around this genuine love for the city. And people love it for various reasons. Um, but also we love Durham in spite of what it's not. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, it's just this weird relationship to Durham um, that I think I, I just, it's beautiful. And I've had the ability to travel the world and there's nowhere like Durham. You know what I mean? I always say that and I mean it genuinely. There's places I enjoy, you know, I, I lived in LA for a little bit. LA was super dope, you know, spent lots of time in Manhattan and Brooklyn and, um, you know, all over Thailand and Korea and there's beautiful, amazing cities. But Durham just has that it factor to me. And I think it really is just this energy of all these people contributing to this potential and this idea that Durham could continue to be something better. Right. It's like those other cities I just named, they kind of are what they are. Mm -hmm. Right. Manhattan is what it is. San Francisco is what it is. Seoul, Korea is what it is. Right. They're changing and evolving, but they're pretty much established. Right. Durham, for all of my life, has always felt like something that's on the cusp of becoming something else. Right. Um, and I think all of us just committed to the greatness that we see in this place and wanting it to really be that um, is what makes it special. So um, just authentic to that, authentic to that aspirational nature of Durham and, and its people. Right. We all are fighting to, to defy the odds and defy expectations. So to me, that's authentic. I wonder, you said taking Durham for um, or in spite of what it's not looking yeah. at Durham and appreciating it in spite of what it's not. And that's, I think where sometimes I feel uh, disgruntled or a little reluctant when people have just moved here because, you know, we've had a pretty good PR campaign for the yeah. last few years. Yeah. There's a lot of things to be proud of that, um, you know, the visitor center and other businesses, the chamber have done a really good job of promoting. And so people move here for those things, yeah. maybe not understanding the history of Durham and, you know, some of the um, um, blemishes that Durham has had over the years. And that is what makes up its character right. holistically. Uh, and so, and I, I think this sort of transition in, transitions into um, what you're thinking about as you're making your run for city council, but... Um, people have to be aware of those things and having that institutional knowledge yeah. and history of Durham helps put things in perspective and frame the conversation in a way, whether you're talking about economic development or public schools, which is yeah. something that you and I have been working on for the last year or so. Um, you know, there's a frame of reference that is necessary to speak to what Durham has been and what it aspires to be in a more holistic way. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, in my opinion, impossible to have a proper perspective without the history, right? You got to know what happened before, what contributed to us getting to this space. Um, and I think it's even even more different when that perspective is influenced by lived experiences, right? It's one thing to read a book about it or ask, interview people about it. But when you've lived through those experiences, it, it gives you an authentic lens or perspective on it um, and impacts your decision making, right? As we make decisions for a community, um, you know, I feel so I feel deeply connected to and I feel um, accountable to it, too. Right. Like if I'm doing something that's going to impact Durham, whether it's at the chamber or, you know, if I'm elected, 
I'm 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 thinking of the people that I'm accountable to. You know what I mean? And many of them are my family members, right? So um, I think that just gives you a different connection, man. I really do. It's 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 one thing to move somewhere and work there and 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 you know get to know it and make it a home. Um, which is super valuable and you know you can learn the history but when you've lived it it's just a little bit different what is the policy that you're really leaning into during this uh during this run yeah so the basis of all of my policies is economics we talked a lot about that today but i think um in this system in this 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 world um economics impacts every as every other aspect of our life so um this comprehensive economic development strategy is what you'll hear me talk a lot about. Um, and it, it, it means thinking of economics beyond just creating jobs, which is an important piece of it, but thinking about economics as a function of transit, um, education, workforce development, safety, you know, um, many of these uh, affordable housing, many of these issues that I think we address today in a silo, right? We say this year we're talking about affordable housing, right? That's, all, that's what we're talking about. And we'll talk about all the other stuff underneath the banner, but we're really just talking about affordable housing. Um, or what's been even more troubling is we'll say, okay, we'll get the affordable housing and we'll get the other stuff later, right? Okay, we'll get the affordable housing, then we'll talk about the jobs. We'll build the thing downtown and then we'll figure out how to build a grocery store later. And then we'll, you know, we'll figure out how to cl- fix the roads later. But let's just get this thing because this is what we have the money for today. Um, and, and I think it's like sort of these, these uh, starts and stops. Um, rather than having a, a broader vision for what, what is the end goal? What does the end goal look like and what is the best strategy to get there? So uh, my main policy framework is, is a comprehensive economic strategy. Uh, but the most urgent thing right now, I think, is public safety. Um, I think, you know, again, back to our childhood, but, you know, we remember the 90s. We remember place, feeling like you weren't safe in Durham. We remember hearing that you weren't safe in Durham, whether we responded by, yeah, I'm good, it's my home, or whether you genuinely were like, I don't know if I should go down that street tonight. Uh, and that's not a good feeling, right? It, 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 it's in 2019 feels a lot like 95, right? You know what I mean? And But you wouldn't know that necessarily depending on what part of Durham you're in. Yeah, there's two different Durhams, right? Well, there's, very, there's many different Durhams. Um, and, and I think we've allowed ourselves to be too insulated too, right? It's like, um, you know, I spend most of my time downtown and, and I love downtown. It's, it's become a beautiful place. Um, but downtown isn't the whole city. There's people who are who are having some serious safety challenges, some serious economic challenges, just a couple steps away from where we're sitting right now. Um, and you know, I think most urgently we need to address those needs. I think we need short-term and long-term solutions. Um, but we gotta figure. We have to figure this out. We owe it to everybody. Durham should be safe, right? It's it's a. I met this mother um, outside of one of the political endorsement things, and we were talking about this and. She said she sleeps on the floor in her home. And so my initial thought was, oh, she sleeps on the floor because she doesn't have a bed. And, you know, I'm a solution-focused guy. So my first thought was, okay, we can get this woman a bed. That's not that hard to do. And I was like, so why do you sleep on the floor? And she was like, well, no, I have a bed. No, that, that's what she said. She's like, I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, I'm thinking poverty. I'm thinking, oh, she doesn't have a bed. I, you know, I want to help. And she's like, no, I have a bed. She was like, I sleep on the floor because there's so much shooting on our block that me and my daughter have to sleep low enough so that, you know, we can, the bullets won't, won't hit us while we're asleep, or at least they feel like they have to sleep low, low enough. Um, and that's no way to live, bro. Like that is, that's like war zone shit. You know what I'm saying? And, um, we should all be, we should all be offended by that. We should all be, you know, outraged to hear that somebody in our community, um, is sleeping on the floor to avoid gunfire. And, 
I don't know if that's real enough for, for enough people, but it's really real to me. And, um, you know, I'm running for city council to change that, right? To get, our neighborhoods have to be safe, right? Downtown has to be safe. It's a beautiful example when people f- drive in off 147 and say, where's Durham? We love to show them downtown and we have to focus on that as well. But our neighborhoods got to be priority right now. Our neighborhoods got to be safe. Moms and daughters and sons got to be able to walk around and play and ride on their bikes without getting, you know, shot at or ducking bullets. And for me, it you read about the murders, right? We always see the murders. And so, you know, one murder is too many. But the murders weren't daily for a while. Um, so the homicides weren't daily for a while. So I didn't realize that we're having shootings daily, right? Every single day someone gets shot in Durham. Um, we had, I think, 50 shootings in three weeks, according to Chief Davis, uh, over in August. That's several shootings a day at that point, right? That is, you know, when I when I got that data and saw that and, you know, I was like, all right, I got to go out here and talk to the people in the neighborhoods. And I have been. Um, and they're like, yeah, it's even more than that. Right. I mean, someone gets shot every day. But think about the countless times where someone misses. Right. And they're just, you know, there are people shooting. Um, so gun violence is real in the bull, man. And it reminds me of the 90s. If you watch Welcome to Durham DVD, you remember that. Right. Like. And that's not something to be proud of. That's not something to go, try to go back to, to be, you know, um, we've, we need to address that. So that's the number one priority that's, that is influenced by the current events in our city. And I think we need leadership that um, genuinely cares enough about the people in the community to look past the data and the numbers sometimes and just focus on what the community is asking for. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I think um, right now the community is asking to be safe. Let me get you out on this. Uh, it's something that I try to ask folks when I get them on the podcast here what is something that is inspiring you right now it could be in music it could be in your other work it could be here in Durham it could be national international but something that you've uh, a conversation you've had something you've consumed a book movie something like that that is inspiring you as a person Um, a couple things uh, have inspired me one is I've been listening to a lot of Fela lately Fela Kuti um, and just leaning into his biography and reading about him and how he, um, you know, used music as a platform um, to really help fight for the liberation and freedom of his people. He eventually devolved in some ways into some problematic behaviors, but um, philosophically, he, you know, his, his people-centered politics um, have, been, have been inspiring me lately. Um, but honestly, man, I'm, I'm inspired by the need to serve, bro, like, inspired by you know um i don't know if inspire is the right right word but um the the children being killed in our community have 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 you know um maybe scared me i don't know if inspire is the right word but pushing me to really do this right like i, I you know durham has been really good to me bro like i my dreams have come true you know what i mean i've toured the world i've done television movies i've you know, performed and sold out shows here and, 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 you know, been revered as, you know, an artist and a hero. And um, so my dreams have come true, but I think about all the kids who don't have access to those dreams and, and it just makes me want to fight for them, bro. Like I, I, I really go to bed at night, every night thinking about Zion and the kids that, you know, are, are doing shooting or being shot at or feeling like they're hopeless. They don't have, they don't have any other opportunity or nothing else to live for. So, I'm inspired by that, man. Inspired by the need to serve, man. Just to, um, it's just super real for me, bro. Like I, 
I just can't imagine that mother's story has been tripping me out because you know I have two kids of my own and you know just going to bed at night in fear is, is not a way to live so inspired by the ability to change that I appreciate you being on the show I think that's Thank a great know. thing uh, for people to leave this conversation with is to be thinking about their own lives and, and the lives of people right next to them like you said in their community and and how they can do a better job in, in whatever way to um, push our community forward and to um, be a, an ally or supporter um, in, in whatever way they can. Uh, so thanks again um, for being on the show. This has been great. Uh, like you said, we could have gone a whole another hour. Whether <laughs> yeah, be, I wish we could, man. I wish well, we could. Uh, you know, there'll be plenty more opportunities. I'd love to have you back on the show. So it, thanks again. Where can people find your work or find uh, I know you have a campaign page you've yeah. got your own stuff where can people find you online? so all my music is everywhere Spotify Apple SoundCloud all of those places just under my full name Joshua Gunn um, throw it in the search bar you can get it uh, my campaign site is jgun for Durham that's F-O-R not the number four so jgunfordurham.com um, you can find all kinds of updates all of my Instagram profiles and Twitter is at jgun for Durham yeah, just stay tuned. So this week we're releasing some more platform information. We're talking about strategies and how we plan to affect some of the change that we talked about today. So tune in there. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Hey, Justin, again, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the show, The Buddy Ruski Show, on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you're listening. Uh, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Buddy Ruski, B-U-D-D-Y-R-U-S-K-I. Uh, check out the website as well, BuddyRuski.com. Uh, you can find links to some of my writing, to these shows, some other projects that I'm involved in that I'll be promoting. So be sure to check out the website as well. Uh, you can find me on Patreon if you'd like to support the show that way, uh, patreon.com backslash Buddy Ruski. Uh, again, thank you for listening. That interview with Jay Gunn was really fun. Really glad to be back at the podcast desk. So stay tuned for more shows and we'll see you next time.